This episode is sponsored by Enriched Superfoods. Enriched is my go-to store for the most powerful, most pure superfoods on the plain et. They've got all the good stuff from maca to matcha, from shilajit to powdered greens. But you know what I love the most? I love the mushrooms. Now I know what most of you are thinking, get on with the show, right? But I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get better at strangling people? Us jiu-jitsu guys, we're all the same. We want to be better, we want to be badder. Well, being better requires two things, learning more stuff and being able to execute more stuff. And Enriched has got you covered with what I'm calling the white basement jiu-jitsu super stack. First is lion's mane mushroom to supercharge memory, focus and clarity and even better, give a neurotrophic boost literally helping you grow new jiu-jitsu brain cells. Now, a jiu-jitsu super brain is all well and good, but if you can't execute on the mat, then it don't mean jack. That's why the second half of the super stack is the legendary Cordyceps CS4 mushroom extract, scientifically proven to offer heroic levels of stamina and energy, as well as improved lung function, actually helping you breathe better while you stop other people from breathing at all. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod for a 10% discount across the whole site. Want to get more taps in more rounds and more respect from more people? Then get super stacked. Go to enriched.co and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod. My wife told me she was pregnant. I had been invited to the World Championships uh, in the US uh, for a federation called WMBF because uh, I placed second in the British Championships and I was getting ready to compete and my wife said, I'm pregnant. So I said, great, not competing. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at White Basement Pod. My guest today is Marcel Apfel. He's a lawyer, he's a father, he's a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and he's a bodybuilder. So hopefully, today we're going to find out about how to grow some sexy functional muscles. <laughs> Marcel, welcome to the podcast. Cheers, Jason. Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, that's, I really want to know about growing muscles. Uh, although I'm okay. 50, I'm yeah. still in my mind. I haven't, I haven't reached my peak yet. So, um, yeah, I mean, you you sent me some pictures, and that's there's some serious pictures. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be seeing those pictures now. And if you're listening to it, then uh, you can either have a look on Instagram, on my Insta or uh, Facebook, or go on the YouTube, and you're going to see some some pictures of Marcel looking pretty uh, sick. That was back in the day, Jason, yeah. so When was that? How long ago was uh, that? So I stopped competing in 2004. So when my daughter was born... 20 years. Yeah, my More daughter was born in 2005. And when my wife told me she was pregnant, I had been invited to the World Championships uh, in the US uh, for a federation called WMBF because uh, I placed second in the British Championships. And I was getting ready to compete and my wife said, I'm pregnant. So I said, great, not competing. Well, that's, that, that kills one of my questions. What was that? <laughs> one of my questions was going to be, you know, looking at 
at how much, how sort of all-encompassing it is to get into that condition. Mm. Not that I've ever looked anything like that, but, you know, in terms of like diet, training, supplements, sleep, recovery, all, how would you balance that with having kids? So that's the yeah. answer, right? Yeah, I think that <laughs> I was ready to compete and I and I would have carried on. It was less about the time and more about the last couple of weeks before I'd get on stage, so probably the last three weeks, I'd be burning so many calories. I'd be training so hard that I'd become very short-tempered and my attention span would be really, really short. So to the point where that would have been my seventh competition if I'd have done it. And after competition four, my boss at the time said to me, the last week of before your competition, don't come to work. Take it as holiday because you're not concentrating. Uh, you're making stupid mistakes. So just relax, enjoy your training. And he was really understanding. But That was my second question. How, how did it balance with work? Yeah. <laughs> so that answers that one yeah, as well. Well, it, it sort of does, because, but it, there's, there's so much time before that. So the last week would be a build-up from 40 weeks. Yeah, so when I was competing in one show, I'd start that competition prep 40 weeks before. So it's almost a year. Yeah, so I do 20 weeks of uh, increasing my calorie intake, and we will go into that sort of exactly what that so, means. So, all right, well, let, let go, 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 like back a step, and sure. then we can run through the whole process if that's if that's yeah. all right. So, how old were you when you started working out? And was that the first thing you got into, or did, were you other sports when you were young? Were you always a sporty guy? Uh, no, I was not a sporty guy. The only sport I did with my brother, so I got a twin brother. Um, the only sport that we did was rugby, and we started that when we were about seven. Okay, we played at Harrow Rugby Club, just in near near here actually, uh, and we did that until we were about thirteen, until our mitzvah. And sort of six months before that, we stopped playing rugby. But that was all we did. And we were both overweight kids uh, at school. We were um, the, the target for the bullies because we were overweight. We were swatty kids. Um, everyone wore white shirts. We wore gray shirts. Uh, we didn't sort of conform in that way to the school that we were in. So... And between sort of 12 and a half to 17, very little sport, very little sport. And then we found the gym, both of us. And having a twin to train with meant that there was constant competition, constantly seeing who was stronger. So from 17, we started getting into the gym. I started getting into the gym. And after that, that was it. I was obsessed from 17 through to even now. So how old were you when you first competed? Uh, I was 20... Hang on, I met my wife when I was 24, so probably 24. Okay, so seven years of training, yeah. roughly. So, yeah. so what, did that, what did that first kind of seven years look like? And what did you, what, how did you change in terms of like weight, body fat, if you were measuring, core lifts? You know, what happened over that seven years? Uh, I... The first thing I started doing was just going doing bench press. Everyone did bench press. Of course. Yeah. How much did you bench? When you're not doing curls. Yes. Yeah. How much did you bench? Well, I'll, that's an interesting one. I never, ever did biceps. Really? Even while I was competing, I'd do maybe two sets of biceps a week. That was it. 
nothing else. And how how big did your arms get? Uh, Off peak? What? Don't know. Never measured them. Roughly Never measured. 18 uh, inches? Maybe 18, 18 and a half, maybe. Can you imagine? No no bicep yeah. training, 18 inches. Never biceps, but train triceps loads. Okay. Because... That's the mass, right? Yeah, and also yeah. people think if you train biceps, you get big arms, but they're not thinking bi means two, tri means three. Yeah. There's three muscles in your tricep, and when you're standing around and your arms are hanging, that's the big muscle. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, I do lots of bench press, I did lots of squats, and I did lots of deadlifts. So the core lifting was my, the big thing that I started doing. And I started benching maybe like 10 each side to start with, so 40 kilos. And by the time I was really into training, probably three years later, I was benching 140 kilos, but was still the second strongest person in my family. Because my brother, is just got ridiculous strength and i can't even say it's genetics because we're twins yeah yeah just he managed to just continually get stronger and stronger but were you doing the same workouts more or less uh yeah yeah same workouts and then when i hit about 21 i thought i wouldn't mind competing and i had just finished i'd done university i trained really hard at uni that's probably where i started getting into training yeah, training at the university gym. Yeah, because there were guys who were older than me, stronger than me, uh, who looked better than me. I thought, wow, these guys are great. Let me see if I can do that. And I lost, I probably went from about my 18th birthday, I, four months after, I probably lost in those four months about two stone. And it was all body fat. Uh, I... So was just, that a change of diet or more training or change in diet? Yeah, I just cut out lots of crap. No more crisps, no more cakes, no more chocolates. Uh, started eating a lot more healthy. Uh, got into protein shakes when protein shakes weren't really a thing. When they were disgusting. When they were disgusting, they were thick. They were. Do you remember those uh, first uh, wider ones in the can? Yeah, yeah. Nourishment. I was taking nourishment. like nourishment as a protein shake. That and was I sugar, was, right? Yeah, it was just much. full of sugar. And it, it tasted lovely. Uh, and then I started using a protein shake called Davina Protein, which like no matter how much you you whisked it and shook it, it was still didn't, lumpy. Didn't mix. But I didn't okay, that's fine. And then I and then I think during the end of that time, as I was starting university, I couldn't do those protein shakes because they're just expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So I started mixing tuna and orange juice together that was my my go-to thing and that was the thing i think that some, made me lose loads of, raw of weight eggs, isn't it? yeah it's i did never did the raw eggs thing too disgusting never right? did that tuna and orange juice much better my mum wouldn't let me yeah my mum's like there's no way you're eating raw eggs i don't think she ever knew about the tuna orange juice so if she's listening to this i sort of apologize now for the orange juice disappearing all the time um and so university for me was Study really hard, but train really hard as well. So, so how much were you training then at, at that time? Probably three hours a day, hour so, cardio, two hours weights. How many days a week? I reckon probably every day. Seven days. Yeah, I didn't really think about it. I just went. But didn't into feel the gym. sort of like you were burning out? Just you could handle that amount. Yeah, I was eighteen years old, so I wasn't really doing much else. Right. Yeah, so I wasn't playing sport. Uh, when I hit 19, second year of university, I started working on the doors. 
So I was getting tired training that hard. That probably eased up a little bit of my training. But at 18, 19, 20, you know, you can conquer the world. I certainly wouldn't do it now. Struggle to do an hour and a half a day now. So, um, so are you still training every day, more yeah, or less? Still train every day. Gym or gym both, and or something else. Both. So every morning, I get up at between half four and five. Uh, downstairs, going to the gym. I've got lucky enough to have a gym in my house now. So get in, do twenty minutes cardio, and then lift weights for forty minutes. And that's Monday, Tuesday. Thursday, Friday, I lift weights. And then Monday, Tuesday, jiu-jitsu in the evening. Uh, Wednesday's just an hour's cardio. And then Saturday and Sunday, jiu-jitsu. Beautiful. So, all right, you, you, you get to 21. Yep. Finish uni. Finish uni. And then you got three years of working and uh, training. So one year of postgraduate at law school. You did laws. Yeah. And then, and then you've got to yeah. do articles, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then I did two years articles. articles. right. So then, so basically at the end of that, when for sort of fully qualified, that was, getting, that was getting on for competing. Yeah, that's when I started competing. Uh, I met my wife. My first date with her was my first day of my first competition diet. <laughs> so what did you, did you go out for a meal? <laughs> we did. Where did you go? We went to a Turkish restaurant. Oh, so we in have, like, Mill Hill, meat and rice, and meat and rice. Um, <laughs> strategic, and, I like it. Well, strategic, but I almost didn't get a second date out of it because she came out of that date and she told her friend who had set us up that was the most boring place to go. I can't believe he took me there. I don't think I want a second date. <laughs> but you managed to uh, get a second date. I think her friend, again, the mutual friend Zoe, managed to convince her and said, "Look, promise Shout you." Out to Zoe promise yeah zoe norris thank you uh promise you he's a nice guy he'll take you somewhere nicer next time no doubt and and i did so did she ring you up and say oi do you know i don't remember i don't remember but i i've heard this story so many times from both zoe and from my wife charlotte that i know it happened Uh, i think that i then decided look i'm going to take her somewhere i think i decided i'm going to take you somewhere different um, and I took her to Islington, so a lot cooler. Still took her to a place that I knew I could eat. So it was a, a Thai place that you could order whatever you wanted. You, went, you sort of went up and they cooked it for you in the wok. Nice. Uh, and it was around the corner from where I worked. So I knew the place really well. Uh, so I, we went there and it, yeah, it was a great day. And, and that was how long ago? That was, well, it's our 20-year wedding anniversary this year. So 22 and a half years ago. So the Thai food worked. worked the Thai the food, yeah. Yeah, it did. Amazing. And so that was our, our first date. So that was for me, that was my first, first two dates were both competition diet dates. And so would that have been like, 40-ish weeks out from that first comp or it was less? Than no, that was less. Time? That was my pre-comp diet. So that was 16 weeks. Okay. So I'd so, so how, change it up. How, what, what did you sort of um, end up doing in terms of sort of off-season diet and then comp prep? and you know Because yeah. how, how, the, the thing that, that I'm interested in is – you know, from somebody that actually grew muscles and competed and was very lean, all the rest of it, 
is what what kind of like how much protein were you eating how much sort of carbs um and and particularly because the the recent kind of i don't know whether it's fad or fashion or trends in dieting is more fat and protein and less carbs mm. but i'm assuming going 20 years back you were doing loads of protein veggies and that kind of thing rice and fish and which is now is quite sort of unfashionable, right? Yeah. To have the starchy carbs and, and proteins kind of been replaced more with fat. But w is that what you were doing, that kind of traditional bodybuilding diet? No. So yeah. I never did the rice thing. Okay. Uh, so there was a guy that I used to get some advice from, a guy called Fivos uh, Averiku. He was He competed with me at my first comp. This wasn't his first. He'd done it for many years. He was a heavyweight uh, Really nice guy, still speak to him now. And he had said to me, this is my diet. And it was really high in protein, low in carbohydrates. Didn't really concentrate on fats. So I didn't say, oh, you've got to have loads of fats. But there would be certain things that you would eat at certain times of the day. So my competition diet and my off-season diet was only different by the amount of servings that I would have. So my... I would be, uh, breakfast would be where my carbohydrates would be. I'd always start the day with an hour's cardio. And then straight after that, I'd have porridge and protein shake mixed together. Yeah, raw. And that would be for pre-competition. It would be one scoop of porridge oats. Uh, when I was off season, it'd be two and a half. Other than that, my diet was the same throughout the day. Yeah, whether it's competition or non-competition. I wouldn't have any carbohydrates after that. Any like proper carbohydrates. So I'd have, say, chicken. I'd always have ketchup. That was the thing that changed probably the most competition to non-competition. Yeah. Full of sugar, right? Yeah. So I, when I wasn't competing, I'd have, for lunch, I'd have steak or chicken, 200 grams, 300 grams of that with ketchup, when it wasn't when I wasn't competing and without ketchup when I was competing the calorie change in that was massive because I'd really have a lot lot of sauce I love it I still do my protein intake when I was competing or not competing somewhere between 350 and 400 grams of protein a day which is a lot yeah considering that I competed notwithstanding the photos I competed at under 80 kilos so I was somewhere between 77 and 79, 80 kilos when I got on stage. But I mean, for, for comparing that to a, a normal body comp, you would you would probably be walking around close to 100, no, 90? No, probably. Or a, let's say a normal person would be walking around close to 100 with 80 kilos of super lean muscle. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. So actually, you're, yeah. You're My non-competition weight was just under 90. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I'd lose about 10 kilos. But you still would have been pretty lean then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was still quite lean, yeah. but I had I, my heaviest, which probably would have been ninety-three kilos. I, mean, I couldn't really do much else. Yeah, I had my neck was pretty much non-existent. Um, I was very uncomfortable in t-shirts because they would fit my chest and my arms, but they'd be really baggy around my waist. Certainly, going into competition time. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. I wore the fanny pack. I wore the the colourful. Did you have stripy tracks? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'd go and look for them. 
when I moved in with my with with Charlotte, she got rid of all of them without telling me, even though I was did. still competing. Yeah, I'd no look around for the. Suits. Oh yeah, I'd look around for the fanny pack and the the, the muscle t-shirt, the vest, uh, and I couldn't find them anywhere. Did you have the Gold's Gym one? I probably did. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the the, the one with the this, one. like one stripe down the middle of the back. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But I had a really hairy back, so I looked terrible. I looked like a gorilla. Right. Uh, but I loved competing. I absolutely loved it. Uh, the difficult part was. As I said, the last couple of weeks, and that's why I ended up stop, stopping. So, so go, just doubling back to the diet, you would basically do chicken or steak, chicken or and broccoli, steak and broccoli. Even at work, and I how, was known. How many, how many sort of times a day would you eat? Five, six, six times in total, in, including the porridge. Including the porridge, yeah. So, but would that be like five meat and broccolis, or you would you have a Protein uh, shake. Or probably something. have a protein shake. So it was normally porridge and protein for breakfast, and then three hours later, a protein shake. Two and a half hours later, if I was at work, this was a funny thing because everyone sort of looked at me and I'd always do this. I'd have silver foil. They'd put silver foil of, in the fridge, and I'd pull it out, and there'd be a steak in there. Right. And I'd literally just open the silver foil and eat it like a, a chocolate bar. Yeah. Uh, and then two and a half hours later, I'd do chicken. I'd never do two steaks, two red meats in a day. Yeah, so I'd have one piece of red meat a day. And then chicken, and then fish. And then before I went to bed, I always had cottage cheese with a scoop of protein, which was absolutely disgusting, but really helped me because I needed to get the calories in, and I needed to, in my head anyway, I needed to go to bed feeling full. Otherwise, I wouldn't sleep. It definitely helps you sleep. Yeah, it? does for me. Yeah, and the and the cottage cheese is full. Of, is it full of tryptophan? Um, that helps you. sleep? Yeah, tryptophan also casein based Very protein. Slow digesting, yeah, so right? slow digesting. But I'd always have my extra scoop. Uh, I didn't eat peanut butter. A lot of bodybuilders love peanut butter. I can't stand it. Oh, I, so, I like peanut butter. Yeah, I can't do it. And so many of my friends would be like, oh, yeah, just make this and add peanut butter and put I a protein shake. I thought you were going to say cottage cheese and peanut butter before bed. So many people did that. Yeah. And I, I did I, that. I did, I did get, gain nothing. <laughs> That's why. But you to. felt really full. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was something that everyone did, but I just couldn't do it. And I wish I could have. Yeah. And as the protein shakes got better, it was easier to to have that cottage cheese and protein because one day it would be cottage cheese and chocolate protein, then it would be chocolate mint, then it would be vanilla, then it would be strawberry. So it's something different to go to sleep or I'd freeze it the night before and have it as an ice cream the next day. Mm. So there's always little tricks that you do because how boring is a bodybuilder's diet? Yeah, it's horrible. Pretty grim. Yeah, exactly. And so did you stick to that, you know, 29 days a month? Yeah, uh, so I did it... It was for off-season, I'd do it every day, yeah. And when we'd go out for dinner, it would be a pain. So when I'd go out for dinner with friends, it'd be a pain because I just wanted chicken and rice or steak and rice. But when I was competing, I actually did slightly different. Six days a week, I'd be perfect eating. On day seven, which was Sundays, I'd go and do an hour of cardio in the morning. And then for dinner, I would have always have a large pizza, and a pint of Hagen does or a pint of Ben and Jerry's every Sunday because Monday was leg day and I wanted the calories. That was my excuse to myself, but I always look forward to it. So I'd be so militant 
during the week that come Sunday, I knew what I was having. So I could look forward to it. So if I wanted to cheat during the week, I'd go, just wait, three more days. You can have that pizza. And and it worked. It worked for me anyway. What, what do you have on your pizza? Oh, God. I always have mushroom, pineapple, uh, sweet corn. Was this like a takeaway? Yeah, always takeaway. Domino's? I can't remember, Domino's or Pizza Hut, but yeah, it was always a takeaway. So mushroom, pineapple, sweet corn? Yeah. Just that? that was no, it. Tuna. no tuna? <laughs> no tuna, no. No, I didn't want to do anything and no that... pepperoni? No, oh. no. I didn't want to have anything that was good for me. Yeah, I'd never... There was a lot of people that at the time were doing sugar-free cookies and uh, low-carbohydrate cookies. And my view was, and still is, if you're going to eat something that's really nice, eat it. Yeah. Because your body's going to appreciate it. If you have the sugar-free, you've got multanol in it, which is one of these fake sugars that if you ever have them, tell Gosha to move out because... We don't, we don't. It absolutely stinks, yeah? Right. It, it's known for making you pass wind, yeah? And it's horrific. I don't need, I don't need any additional yeah. help with that. <laughs> it's horrific. You can do that on normal food. The one time I did that, I did that with a new creatine supplement that I tried... And even I wanted to move out of the bedroom. Yeah, I opened the windows. I was like, I literally can't be in here anymore. So I left my wife in the bedroom and slept in the lounge. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> better for both of you, right? Yeah. But so my diet was was spot on for what I would say 90% of my And week. actually, I mean, doing doing sort of the cheat, because it really then it was a cheat meal rather than a cheat day. Yeah. I mean, doing that sort of, I don't know, three-hour window, let's say, of all those calories is... is seems to be actually pretty good because it massively upregulates everything, right? Your metabolism speeds up. Yeah. And then you get back into calorie deficit and yeah. hard training and everything and starts pulling fat out rather than yeah. catabolizing muscle. And also whatever. mentally it was what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the calorie intake, I never really tracked my calories. Yeah. So if someone said to me, oh, did you have 4,000 calories off season, 2,000 on season? I couldn't tell you. Have yeah. you ever sort of roughly worked it? Never. D- don't know. Never. But on the other side, I, so I never recorded calories, but I'd always record what I was eating. Right. So I'd always write down tin of tuna and 200 grams of broccoli. But I couldn't tell you because I never looked. Yeah. Carb- I'd have my porridge in the morning, my steak. But part of the reason being is I couldn't, when I first looked at all the bodybuilding meal plans in Flex magazine and muscular development, They'd say 200 grams of steak. But I'd never know if that was pre-cooked or post-cooked. So I, I sort of got lost. And for a clever guy to get lost in an area that really I thought was just loads of meatheads, I just thought I don't want to embarrass myself. So when people would ask me, I go, oh, I don't need to worry about my calories. Yeah, I just know that if I eat like this, my body will look like that. And... And so, that worked. So would you, would you sort of, coming into competition, did you kind of adjust what you were eating depending on how you were looking in the mirror, how you were feeling? Or did you kind of have it pretty sort of nailed down already that as long as I eat this, I'm going to end up in the shape I want to be in? Did you have to sort of moderate depending on how that weight cut and stuff was going? I never changed the food. I would increase the cardio. Okay. Yeah, so I was a big believer that if I ate healthy... I could then manipulate my cardio by doing an extra 10 minutes of cardio. But it would be the cardio after my weights. On season or off season, I would make sure that I did somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour of cardio before breakfast. 
And so did your cardio kind of look like walking on a treadmill type of thing? Like so I, Ronnie Coleman, you yeah, know? Yeah, no, it didn't. I wish Ronnie Coleman, jeez, <laughs> seen him now, it looks terrible. Yeah, Poor guy. Very sad. Um, no, I would do 16 minutes of running really fast, as fast as I could go for 16 minutes, full out. Um, Tread, and treadmill or just on run? A, on a treadmill. On a treadmill. Uh, then I would do... 30 minutes on the cross trainer. Again, I do it on quite a high level. I followed a, a, a training routine called Max OT, which was maximum overtraining. Yeah. And it would be you go as hard as you can for the shortest amount of period possible. Yeah. And uh, the guy that invented it had said 16 minutes is the optimal time that your body can take full out cardio. Was he right or wrong? I couldn't tell you. It worked for me. It looked pretty yeah. good in the pictures. Yeah, it worked for me. Yeah, and I'd find that running was the one thing that would always make me feel like I was losing weight. And I could feel when I was running if I was going to have a good workout later that day because I'd feel either light or I'd feel heavy. If I was feeling heavy, then I might say, right, rather than doing 30 minutes cross trainer on level 18, I'll do it on 15 because I'm going to struggle training weights tonight. Because at that time I was training twice a day. So it would be cardio in the morning and weights in the evening? Correct. And then when I was competing, it would be cardio in the morning. Then it would be weights in the evening. And then after the weights, 25 minutes of cardio, cross trainer. Hard again or just sort of? Um, um, more moderate this just time. Just get a bit yeah, of a sweat on. And, exactly. Yeah. Because I was already sweaty. I'd already done my weights. I'd already put a lot of effort into that. I didn't want to go into a catabolic state of starting to burn up the muscle. So I'd finish my weights, take my supplements, and then get straight on and do my cardio. And was that still seven days a week you were training? Yeah, that was still seven days a week. So, so coming coming on a little bit onto the the, the weights, what kind of uh, split were you doing in terms of body parts, frequency, how much volume, what exercises? What did that look like? I was doing so. The split would be legs on Monday. Uh, Chest and it'd be chest and triceps on Tuesday, back and biceps on Wednesday, Thursday would be shoulders, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday there'd be probably something like calves or hamstrings. Uh, so kind of one triceps. one one body once yeah. a week per once body a week. Part. Yeah, that was it. And how much how much volume were you doing? Not a lot. So for legs. I'd probably do a maximum of working sets, 10 sets. Chest, maximum working sets, eight. Triceps, six. Back, eight. Biceps, two. So so a workout in, in terms of actually sort of intense exercise would be what, an hour and a half? No, not even close. Less. 45 minutes okay. of intense weights. And I'd do abs every single day after cardio in the morning so right. i do abs every day again did it work it for me it worked as far as the photos are concerned i, I knew i had the abs yeah so that worked great for me but i'd never do more than you know what i set out to do on on the, the weights and so if you say say looking at legs that would be squats back squats uh so i'd start squats always start with squats I do three set, three working sets of squats. 
And and what kind of rep range would you be doing? Four to six. Oh, so, so again, this was low. My my belief after reading a lot about it, my belief was that if I could do something in a shorter amount of time and get the same results, do that. So I saw lots of people doing 10, 12 reps. Why? I couldn't find a reason why. Four sets on squats, four sets on leg press, four sets on leg extensions, four sets on hamstring curls. There was no why. And why 12 reps? The first six reps were always easy. Yeah, you're doing 12 reps. The first six reps are easy. What are you doing them for? I couldn't find a reason. So I thought, right, I'm going to go as heavy as possible, as quickly as possible. So not the reps quickly, but get to that heavy weight as quick as possible. Do four to six reps. When I can hit six reps, I'll add weight. So my, my best friend at the gym was the one kilo um, discs yeah, that I put on because that meant I'd write everything down. Yeah, I've still got all my diaries from training. I'd write everything down. I'd say, right, last week on squats, I did two sets or three sets, and I did 100 kilos, and I did five, five, six on reps. Right, today I'm going to do 101 kilos or 102 kilos. And did you find you could kind of add a kilo here and there pretty consistently just yeah. all the time? Yeah, and if I couldn't add a kilo, then I that was because I wasn't doing six reps. Right. Yeah. So I might have done five, five, five. If that's the case, I haven't earned that extra kilo. I've got to earn it. I have to get to that that point of I've done it. And if it was the first set, so if I went in and did legs and I did a hundred kilos, I was like, right, six reps. Okay, set number two, I've got to go up. And I can get four. But the so the upside is that I always felt strong all the way up to competing, all the way up to the week before competing. I'd still be lifting the same weights that I was 12 weeks before. Yeah, or heavier because I'd gone gone up. But I always needed a spotter. I always needed someone who would help me get that that lift because the last two reps were a struggle. Whether it was rep 3 and 4 or 5 and 6, it was always hard. So that now all the guys and girls that spotted me at the time without them there's no way I'd be able to compete. Amazing. So, and I'm assuming you always were natural? Yeah. Do, do you think that sort of um, guys that are able to do more volume, train more frequency, often it's down to performance enhancers? I don't know because I've got friends of mine that competed who would do high volume and would compete in the same federations as me uh, and it was just their way of competing. They, or maybe they had more time. I was always quite sort of aware of how much time I had because I had a full-time job as well. I had a full-time job. that It wasn't a job that I could just, right, it's five o'clock, I can leave. If it was 5.30 and I had work to do, I'd stay because I was a junior lawyer. I couldn't, I had no, no one to pass the work down to. So I had to do it. Or I'd have to take it home and do it. So I couldn't spend two hours in the gym. Right. Yeah, so is that just that necessity of yeah. getting the workouts yeah. in, in, a, in a short space? So that, that was, did you say 24, the, the first comp? When I was 24, yeah. And how did that, how was that? I didn't place. 
was was good though. Did, uh, did I enjoyed enjoy it. The first one. I enjoyed it, but I didn't place. I mean, it's a bit like. And I thought I was doing great. I thought I was comp, right. Exactly. You just turn up and you're like, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, and I I thought I look great, and I got to the competition and I thought I look shit because I thought I was really lean, and I turned up and there were guys there who were just phenomenal and this was a first timers again same as jiu-jitsu you turn up to a white belt competition and you go brilliant i'm really good and then some guy who's been doing judo for 15 years or wrestling or who's just picked up jiu-jitsu quicker than you smashes you i i looked terrible when you when you look back at the pictures when i look back at the pictures but when i got this was when i first met fivos and I met him and his brother, Andrew, who unfortunately passed away shortly after that. But Fivos and I got on so well. And he was very honest with me. He said, you're so far away. You've got to change things up. And he gave me some tips and said to me, you know, you've got to increase your cardio. You, at the time, I think I was still doing quite, I think I was probably doing volume training at that time. And Fivos was the one that said, shorten your space of time. Lift heavy. Yeah. Off season, you build muscle because you're lifting heavy. Why are you changing it on season? It's like, wow, flashbulb moment. And I then competed again five weeks later and placed first. And I'd just in that five weeks, I'd made small changes, but those changes had completely changed my physique. My, I went into the competition, I was striated, I turned my back, and you could see the Christmas tree on my back. I hit a double bicep pose and from the back and you could see that there were two muscles on the bicep, three muscles on the tricep. It was completely different. So did you, did you know what body fat you were at when you, when you competed generally? Did you, did you, did you know what the difference was from that first comp to the second one? Or? No, but I know that when I competed uh, sort of later on, so in my last three competitions, I was sub 5% and I was, I was getting measured I was getting caliper measured. I was getting my supplements. Um, right, you can have this many supplements on this day. It was a lot more rigid. I'd taken time to go to uh, a physician at the time, uh, a guy called Dr. Adam Carey, who I know is still around and still helps he, him and uh, a guy called Matt Bullock, who was looking after the England rugby team recently. They They sponsored me and they helped me go from being good to being very good. Yeah, they they were militant right down what you're eating. We'll work out your calories. We'll work out this. We'll work out what protein shake you need to take. We'll work this. And it was complete, It was amazing Yeah, wow. to have that. Like a pro athlete, right? Yeah, exactly. And they were, they were extremely helpful to me because it allowed me to understand the difference between being lean, which was 10% body fat, to being competition lean, which was 5%. But I'd hit that previously. I just didn't know. Right. And so those pictures that you sent, which which comp was that? Uh, those were second from last comp. So those would have been 2004. And was it, would you say that was like your... The best shape you were in, that was, that was um, a peak around there? Yeah, that one or the, the one that just followed it, which was the British Champs. So that was the uh, southeast uh, England. And then the next one would have been, that would have been my qualifier. Right. Yeah, so you've got to place 
first in your qualify in your class. And I think on that one, I, well, I know that one, I won my class, which was middleweight and I won the overall. And then you go to the British champs. But the British champs, I think I was probably, I was probably leaner at that. I would have had to have been. How, how, how far, for much further time-wise on was that? Eight British weeks. Champs? So you're kind of in the same condition, but then you just try to refine a bit. Refine yeah, I'd have taken, so post-competition, I would have done a competition refeed, which was, you know, we would have been a Millie's, big Millie's cookie, huge pizza, a kilo of Frosties. I then would have lay on the floor in pain, every competition, same thing. Next day, woke up, started again. And it would have been eight weeks of hard competition training. And, and so you, you, you said before that you, your sort of comp prep would be 40 weeks. Yeah. So what, what would that look like in terms of, were you trying to add bulk for the first half? Or? Yeah, first 20 weeks would be off-season. First 20, 24 weeks would be off-season. Same training though, really? Same training. Uh, it's just more calories. Yeah, just slightly more calories, so probably more... Rather than the cottage cheese before bed, it would be cereal. And would you still be doing the cheat meal? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Still all, do the cheat meal. The but I'd probably in on Saturday night if we went out, I'd probably eat a little bit easier. So I might have some chips rather than the vegetables. I'd ease up a little bit, but not ridiculously. Yeah, I'd still make sure that every other meal was was spot on. And so post-competing, once you once you stopped competing, how did your training and your diet change after that? So my diet changed massively. Yeah, I started enjoying food. Did you did you blow up initially or I not did, really? I did. Probably for about a year I blew up. And when I look at photos of when Izzy was born, who's uh, my, our daughter, I look like I'd never been on stage ever. I mean, I don't even know how I got like that. But you still look like you've been in the gym. I still look like I've been in the gym, but I look like a puffy bodybuilder. Um, that was when clothes starting to become uncomfortable. It's probably my heaviest. I probably reached about 15 stone at that point, which I was competing about 12 something. So that was, that was heavy. Yeah. And now I walk around at just under 13. So very uncomfortable. But I enjoyed food and I had other things, other priorities. You know, that at the time, you know, my daughter was important and she still is, but it's just a different, you had to look after them. And I'd come off seven years, six and a half years of competing and food was a new thing. So I wanted to experience it and boy, did I experience it. But my training didn't really change. What were your favorites then for the food? What did you discover? I found sushi. I'd never eaten sushi before. I mean, it's hard to overeat sushi. Oh, I don't I'm, know I'm about not that. saying you can't do it, but yeah. you know, it's not it's not like McDonald's, right? To to overdo it on the calories. I mean, it's it's a lot of rice and fish. There was a lot of rice and fish, but a lot of tempura right. as well. And my skin got really bad. It was, but I think because my body wasn't used to it. Yeah. So I'd started overeating, but chocolate as well. So I'm a massive chocoholic. I love chocolate. But when I was competing. Whenever I'd eat chocolate, I'd get really ill. So that was in the first year of competing. So I sort of told myself, I can't eat chocolate. Not, I can't eat too much. I can't eat chocolate. So for six years, I don't think I touched chocolate at all. 
I'd have a square of dark chocolate before I went on stage because it would push out the muscles or that's what I'd read and it worked. So if it worked, then great. Probably a placebo, but who cares? But otherwise I hadn't eaten chocolate. So I started eating chocolate like it was going out of fashion, like they were going to ration it. And I'd have family bars of dairy milk just because. But I was still training and I enjoyed my training and and were you were, training was did were you still kind of doing the same stuff yeah same sort of plan once yeah. a week i probably stopped additional cardio and but i got i got unfit yeah i i started to find running was really hard because i was just heavier yes yeah so and i was breathing harder so it got it got quite tough and I knew that I had to then find something else. I had to try and uh, try and do something that would keep me fit. And what was that? Cycling. Okay. I found cycling uh, and it became, that became a passion for about five years where I spent an inordinate amount of money on bikes. Bikes you can spend a lot, right? Oh my goodness. You yeah. You can spend a lot of you money You can spend a, a load and... And I, I decided like just to, to really become obsessed with it. I'm quite an obsessive person when it comes to training. Okay, so if I find something I want to do, I can't just do it. Yeah, and at that time, I couldn't just cycle. I had to do, I had to go, how, how quickly can I be riding 100 kilometers? Then 100 miles. Then is there something I can do that other people can't do? And I can't even remember when it was, but I then did like three London to Paris bike races where you do 180 kilometers a day for three days and you had to do it in six hours. And, and I just became obsessed for, for, for probably four or five years. Wow. It's just, it's, it's a good trait. It's also quite a bad one. And it becomes, everything becomes about that. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking, I can't remember who I was, I had somebody in on the podcast um, and we were talking about sort of having that that balance and having that feedback mechanism mm. of somebody telling you, hey, you're, you're getting a little bit too obsessed with this, just sort of whether that's a partner or friends or you can do it yourself or whatever. But yeah. I think um, quite a lot of people who are high-level performers at whatever mm. have that sort of um blind spot yeah where they can get a little bit sort of super focused and super obsessed and forget about other things but I mean, definitely it's, it's a difficult balance isn't it definitely that i definitely had that uh i so i did the cycling and then i did it's like right cycling's done so i put a big tick on that so was that was that with the cycling was that like a moment when you just said like that's it or did you just start to find you're getting bored of it <laughs> It was the last London to Paris bike race. Just before the race, I had my my then boss and I, who was also a cyclist, so we'd we'd ride together. We had taken a day off work, or I had said to him, "Do you want to ride tomorrow morning?" And he said, "Yeah, come to my house." So I rode to his house, thinking we're going to do twenty miles. This was about six thirty in the morning. He said, "Right, we're we're riding to uh, to Brighton." It's like, okay, but I haven't booked any time off. He's like, I'm your boss. You're going to have the morning off. So we rode down to Brighton and I had a crash. 
I went over a pothole and it really frightened me. I went right over the top of my handlebars. Uh, luckily, we were in an area where there was a town close by. We walked uh, to the bike shop there and the guy looked at my bike and said, uh, whose bike's this? I went, mine. He went, you're lucky to be alive, mate. Because your bike's a mess. So London to Paris did is you, three weeks away. Got protective kit on you? I, I had a helmet on. Yeah, yeah, I always ride with a helmet. Even now when I ride, I still ride with a helmet. Uh, no matter where I am, I'll always ride with a helmet. And were, that would were have you saved injured? Me. Or, or I had scrapes down my nothing arm, major. but nothing nothing major. And I don't know how. Yeah, I didn't couldn't even break fall at the time. So who knows how I did that. But I I walked away from that. Two weeks later, did London to Paris. But didn't perform very well. Uh, went in what's called the Voss, which is the van of shame because I got collected at the end because I didn't complete <laughs> the route in six hours. Voss. Yeah. No one wanted to go into the Voss and I got put in the Voss. Uh, and after that, I said, look, I'm going to take some time off cycling and put my bike away and didn't take it out again until lockdown. So I literally put it away for probably six years. And in that six years, that's when you started to come to jujitsu. No, so before before jujitsu was running, that was my running phase. Uh, again, couldn't just run. Did the marathon, London marathon. I mean, trainers are cheaper than bicycles, right? Trainers are much cheaper than yeah, and and it was something that I had enjoyed while I was bodybuilding. So I thought I'd give that a go. Uh, did the marathon. After the marathon, went. Yeah, I'm not running again. That was horrible. It was the one time that I've come off doing an activity like bodybuilding and cycling and even jiu-jitsu where I've come out and gone, I'm so, I feel so beaten up from that event. There is no, you could not pay me to do that event again. I couldn't walk the next day. And I had been running. I'd been training really well. I'd been, again, militant with the training. 21 miles, 20 miles, 18 miles, 16 miles. But I was so injured that I couldn't walk the next day. I, my Achilles were in just in pieces. And then probably about a year and a half later, I found jiu-jitsu. And was that with Seymour? Did you start with Seymour? Yeah, I started with Seymour. So how did you, how did you find jiu-jitsu? How did that happen? So I started it because I wanted my son, Harry, to start it. And he would have been at the time, I reckon, eight and he wasn't, he was, I don't know if he was getting bullied at school, but he wasn't standing up for himself at school. So I said to him, look, there's this thing called jujitsu. I don't know what it is, but there's a beginner's class. Did, so did you, class. Did you, had you pick jujitsu specifically or you were just thinking a martial? I was looking for something for him. And, but I wanted something for him that was new, that everybody was new at, at that class. I didn't want him to go get crushed and then never go back because I had had that from judo when I was really, really young. My brother and I went three lessons in this, these huge guys rolled literally on top of us. That was it. We never went back. And I, that was always in my head. So I said to him, do you want to go to this thing? He's like, no, 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 no. I said, if you go, I'll go. I'll go to the class after you. He's like, can I watch you? I went, sure. 
Because to my son, I'm this big, muscly guy. Okay, I wasn't a bodybuilder anymore, but he knew what I'd done. He'd seen the photos. And so he went. I went. I think there were three of us in the class at the time. That so was class. this right at the beginning? This was, right, this, was his, this was his first class. So Harry, who now trains, was one of Seymour's first uh, students. And I went to the class after, and there were three other people there. Can you remember who was there? I can remember exactly who was there. So Wayne. Of course. Wayne was there. Dion. And Idan. Okay. So Idan, who at the time I think was a purple belt, but was a Mill Hill purple belt. So, you know, that's a proper purple belt. Yeah. Wayne, who was a former black belt judoko, and who was just immense at that time and is still immense now and Dion who had done MMA fighting and who was a judo guy and me a bodybuilder a former bodybuilder so I thought being a bodybuilder I got this even the purple belt I'm thinking what are you wearing and Seymour who weighed 60 kilos maybe um, dripping wet. <laughs> yeah, less. Yeah. And I was probably at the time about 88 kilos and I was strong. <laughs> it wasn't the first class, but the first class I went to and Harry did his class and he thought it was all right and I did mine. I thought, well, this is okay. Yeah, I'll come back. Um, and the first class was just learn how to do shrimping, learn how to hold side control and just very, very basic for an hour. Went back for the second class uh, that was Harry's second class was Harry's last one. He he's like, I'm not going back. I hate it. And I did it. And I thought, I quite like this. I might carry on. Third class, I went Seymour. At, I think there was only two of us, me and Idan, that for that third class. And Seymour and Idan basically used me as a training dummy. Yeah. And they weren't horrible at all because I wouldn't have gone back. But everything I did, I was like pushing them off side control, armbar. Yeah, I was allowed to take my back, choke, everything. I just got, I think I tapped probably 80 times in that class. I came out and I was so like motivated to go back. Yeah, I think it's it's actually quite a common thread. And it's, and it's definitely my favourite sort of experience martial arts experience is that first class when you get wrecked mm. and you realize like this shit is legit I like breathe you've got this you know i think i think everybody has this thing in their head bro if i really spaz out i'm gonna throw you off i was I'm a doorman remember i was a doorman <laughs> for seven years yeah, and I didn't get into many fights, but I was always at the front yeah. of the door because I was big, but I could talk. Yeah, and because I could talk, there was a lot of we're coming back with knives, we're coming back with this. I'd be like, calm down, relax, let me explain. And so I never really had to get into a fight. But in my head and my ego, I was a doorman. I was hard. I was tough. What's this guy going to do? He's... Less than 60 kilos. What's this short guy going to do with Idan? I mean, it was... It's a beautiful thing. It though. was ridiculous. It's a beautiful yeah, experience. 
I, I, I loved it. So Harry didn't go back. But that was, for me, that was the time that I was... And that was 2016. Yeah, and I remember it because I had just uh, started a... In, in, in my job, I had just started a, quite a large transaction that I was doing. Uh, and I thought, this is going to... This is an outlet for me. It was once a week. This is an outlet for me. And I think I did three months... And then I couldn't go back because work just took over. Yeah, for three months I was working all hours through the night and and I missed it so much. And then I went back and that's it. I haven't, that? I haven't stopped, yeah. So so it, that, that first three months that you trained was just once a week? Yeah, it was and just once when, a when week. And when you went back? Twice a week. And, and what was, are you doing now? Four? Uh, now four, yeah. So Monday, Tuesday. So Monday, Tuesday... Thursdays, yeah, four, and then an open mat on Sunday if I can get down subject to Harry's uh, football. So, and Harry's training again now? Yeah, so Harry started training September last year. He was 14 when he started back. So that that was kind of coming out of COVID? Or uh, we were out? We were out of COVID already. He he just decided, I, I I've tried to push him to do things. So football, I tried to push him to do jiu-jitsu i tried to push him to do weight training i can't push him to do anything he's got to come to his own decision and at 14 we came back from holiday he's september came around he's in year 10 at school so just started a gcse two years and he said dad i want to train jiu-jitsu i said fine i'll get you a private lesson see if you enjoy it and he took a private lesson with sandeep and he loved it. He just said, Dad, I love it. I want to do it. I was like, okay, fine. Did you, were you there for that private? I was there, but not in the class. Oh, so do, it was, do you know what he learned? What, what's uh, he taught? It was self-defense jiu-jitsu. So it was, right, if someone's punching you, block the punches, get low, uh, double leg, take them to the ground, and get into mount. Um, if someone grabs you from behind, around the waist... You know, what do you do? It was very basic stuff, but it had to be something that he would be able to understand. Yeah. Yeah, and be able to think this, I can apply this. Because if he never went back, at least he's learned something. Yeah. And this was Sandeep's idea. I didn't, I said to him, look, I don't know what you want to do. He said, this is what I'm going to do. This is why. And I'm really grateful to Sandeep for doing that because at that point, Harry then said, I want to do it. And we were moving uh, gyms at the time. So we said, look, let's wait till the new gym opens. And he's now obsessed with it. He loves it. How many days a week is he training? So at the moment, he's only doing once a week because he's got exams. Right. But normally it would be uh, three, three times a week. Um, and then again... It's two to three times, depending his football training on Thursday night and Sunday's his football like a match. But if that isn't happening, then it will be three times a week. And, and he's just turned 15. What's it like rolling with your son? Uh, Is it different from rolling with other people? Yeah, really different. Really different. Uh, and Sandeep actually doesn't really like me rolling with him because I don't, I don't go hard on him. Yeah. I can't choke my own son. Yeah, so... I'm getting a cross collar on Harry. 
I won't put it on properly. Yeah, I won't go deep on the. I'll, I'll really ease it. And as I'm doing it, I'll say, watch the cross collar. Now, you shouldn't do that. You're sparring with someone. Yeah, the time to do that is drilling. And Sandeep has spotted that and said, look, roll with them at home. So we got some mats at home and we roll together there. And there I'll go proper on him. Interesting. But not in a, well, why in a do, dick why, way. Why do you think that is? Um, I want him to learn. I think the reason I do it at home is I want him to learn. When I say I go proper, if... I won't go for something and attack it. But if he moves into that position, so if he puts his head down, uh, if he's in my clothes guard, he puts his head down, then I'll tell him, show him why he shouldn't have done that. But then he won't do it again. But I don't want to waste his time in, uh, in class by doing that. So we just don't, we very rarely roll with each other. Although we did Shark Tank me this week for my birthday. <laughs> How was that? Oh, that was that was, was it, tough. Was he, it a shark tank? Yeah, it was a hard shark tank, yeah. Especially when it goes up in grade as well. Although oh, Sandy yeah. was good because he then, at the end, didn't. Didn't smash you? No. He shook my hand and said, happy birthday. <laughs> oh, that's nice. So um, you've competed? I've competed. I've only competed actually once. But where was that? Uh, that was Hertfordshire. That was when I was a white belt. And um, fancy doing another? Or yeah, not? I'd love to do another. I was going to do grappling industries this year uh, and got injured about two weeks before. Didn't say anything. And then a week before, I just my knees are so shot to pieces because of years of squatting and running um, that I just couldn't put any pressure on my knee at all. Even like when I was on my knees starting a role. If I'm on my right knee, I just could not put any pressure on it. Someone would touch my patella and I'd tap straight away because that pain was just immense. So have you, have you sort of modified your resistance training? Because, I mean, you know, obviously I've never been anywhere near the condition that you were in, uh, not lifting such heavy weights, not training so much. But my, my training now, my, my resistance training is pretty much sort of prehab, rehab, trying to fix things, trying to strengthen things that I know are weak, rather than thinking, right, I'm going to improve my deadlift, try and add 20 mm. kilos or whatever. It's more like, no, I've got a herniated disc, so actually I'm going to do loads of hyperextensions and reverse hypers, and but just try and strengthen my lower back. Yeah. Have you, have you changed your training at all, for, for example, like – let me just work around trying to fix my knees. Or are you still like, no, fuck it, I'm doing six hard reps <laughs> on the squat rep. I'm a bit of a fuck it, but I don't, I don't do a bodybuilding workout anymore. Yeah, so um, I'm much more careful on what I lift. Squats was the thing that, squats and leg press were the things that I used to love doing. And I would really, when I was competing and even probably up to, three, four years ago, going is really heavy because I love that feeling. More squats than leg press. Now I'm way more careful. Yeah, I wear knee wraps on my knees when I squat. I don't go heavy. Uh, I'll do 60 kilos in total, so two, uh, 20 on each side, and I'll do eight reps, eight sets. That's legs done. But you, so you haven't, you, you haven't sort of changed 
say the actual exercises you're doing, just the the the, the weight and the volume and the, that correct. Kind of um, sort mm, sort of. I so I my splits very different now. So Monday is upper body split, Tuesday's lower body, then Wednesday no weights, Thursday upper body, Friday lower body. Yeah, and I'll do different exercises, but they're much more core basic lifts. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot more cleans, clean and press, bench press obviously still still there, shoulder press, a lot of shrugs, chin-ups. I try and do things that in my head I'm thinking, right, how's this going to help my jiu-jitsu? Yeah, so chin-ups, yeah. I hated chin-ups. Now I'll make sure that I do them, yeah, at least three times a week. Yeah, because now you're just thinking, finish that chin Now I'm thinking, exactly, finish the exactly, yeah. exactly. It's funny, um, isn't it? When yeah. you've got that different reference point, yeah. like, this is my favourite. Yeah, exactly. And uh, bent over rows, I used to use lifting wraps when I was competing because I want to make sure that my forearms don't give out before my back does. Now, I've got to make sure that I feel this lift because it's my forearms. If my forearms give out, then when I've got that choke on, my forearms are going to give out yeah. and I don't want that. Yeah. So I'm a lot more aware of what I'm doing. But I don't, I get a lot obviously more injuries because of jiu-jitsu. Mm. But I find I get those injuries when I try and power through things. Yes. Yeah? That's when I find, oh, do you know what, I shouldn't have powered through that, um, that role. I, I was use my strength too much, and Kyle, yes. that was really stupid. It's quite it's quite difficult because I mean I've had this conversation um, a few times with Gosha, yeah. Gosha, my wife who also trains. Um, is that there's there's as you get older and as you get injuries, you got niggling things, you know, things don't don't move so well as they did. You find, or I find myself in positions a lot where. Um, you think, if I bridge here, I can escape this. But if I bridge, my back's going to hurt. So I'm just going to lie here. Yeah. Like it, and it's really, it's a little bit demoralizing sometimes because yeah. you think, well, I, I, could, I could get top position from here, but then I'm going to be mashed for two weeks and I'm yeah. going to, you know, I'm going to put my knee out again or, or whatever. Yeah, it's, it teaches you a lot of uh, humility, right? To I find actually... that with my knees. Yeah, especially my my uh, my right knee. Now all my training partners are going to go for my right knee. But um, I find that, I right, I know I can get on top here, but I've got a roll on my right knee. And I know that after that, I'm going to be out at least for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And... How am I going to feel tomorrow when I can't train? <sighs> you know what? I'm going to sit here. Yes, I'm going to get choked. Or yes, I'm going to... Fine. That's, that's what it's happens. That's what happens. Game, isn't it? Yeah? yeah. I don't care. I don't care if I go to training and come out and I've been... And I've tapped a hundred times. If I come out and feel good, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Versus I can go in and tap a hundred times. Oh, sorry. Uh, get people to tap to me a hundred times and think... <sighs> I was such a dick in training today. Why yeah. I, I ego trained? Yeah, yeah, you can have you can have really good sessions and in inverted commas lose every yeah. round, and you can have terrible sessions and in inverted commas win every round. I roll with Sandy Wayne Seymour, uh, some of the higher belts, even some of the lower belts at, uh, at RGA South Hearts, and I can lose constantly. But if I come out and go, oh, you know, I was really trying to make sure that I was. Uh, that I played on my back more. Yeah. 
And yes, I got tapped, but I lasted three and a half minutes not getting tapped. Or if I'm rolling one of the coaches or one of the other higher belts, damn, got smashed. Why? Because I didn't have this, this and this, or I didn't do this, this and this. That's okay. That's the difference between, I think, jiu-jitsu and bodybuilding. Yeah, one of them, yeah, is if you don't win in bodybuilding, you go, oh, it's all my fault. Yeah, it's never someone else's fault. Whereas in jiu-jitsu, it's because the other person was better. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, and so I find that's uh, a, I think, a big thing. I think the other nice thing with, with jiu-jitsu, which again has, has come up with quite a few people that have jiu-jitsu people that I've had on the podcast, is that jiu-jitsu, you, you can't do it on your own. Mm. You know, jujitsu, um, I've said it a number of times, it's like a physical conversation. Yeah. So jujitsu literally it's 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 the physical equivalent of this. We sit down and we talk to each other about mm. things and you say things and I think about them and then I say things and then hopefully you think about them and maybe we disagree on something, so we have to hash that out a bit yeah. and find out if we can come to some kind of, you know, conclusion on it. And jujitsu is the same. It's you know, you, exactly you, right. I, I, I find that if you roll with somebody, you, you know a lot about them. After six minutes or five minutes or ten minutes or whatever, you, you know, it's not quite a Darren Brown thing, mm. but I can probably tell you how your day was going, you know, how life is generally, you know, because <laughs> you, you can kind of feel it. Yeah. Some people are happy. Some people are angry. Some people are tired. Some people are stressed. Some people are upset. Some people are, they want to beat you for some reason. Some yeah. people don't want to beat you for some reason. Like it's a, it's a very sort of interesting nuanced thing. And I, and I guess, you know, as a, as a, um, um like a, a counterbalance to something like bodybuilding, they are almost complete opposites because bodybuilding um, is is very um, self-centered yeah. thing, right? It's a bit like when I had Ibion who runs uh, Resistance. Mm. Uh, his, he originally was a Thai boxer. Thai boxing, kickboxing was his background. And he said the striking arts are very selfish. So, you know, it's, it's all about you, hitting pads, hitting a bag, shadow yeah. boxing. You, you're getting a lot out of it, the other person not so much. Okay, when you spar, slightly different, but a lot of the training is just kind of you. Whereas jiu-jitsu is very much about giving to the other person. The more you give to your training partner, which is kind of, I think, what we were saying before, mm. the better your session is. It's a negotiation, yeah? So this is why jiu-jitsu for me has been... And it sounds terrible. I'm sure people have said it and you've gone, oh, really? I never go, oh, really? really? It, it, for me, is the best therapy ever. Everyone yeah? says the same thing. I walk into that gym and back from when Seymour's classes at the venue and then at the old Scout Heart, and I'd walk in and I'd mentally have to leave everything that's going on in my life at the door. Because if I didn't, I was going to get choked because I wasn't concentrating. I was going to get armbar because I wasn't concentrating. Or I'd be if I'm super stressed, I'm taking it on the other guy or girl, and they don't know what's going on, and I'm not going to give them a good role. And I'm not going to help myself either. So I find that that's been brilliant. The other thing that I find, I've been very lucky when you say about the difference between bodybuilding and uh, jiu-jitsu. Bodybuilding, when I was, I traveled for work, when I'd go and, ask them about training in a bodybuilding gym. Be like, hmm, not sure. And jujitsu, 
completely different. Yeah. I can go anywhere in the world. I send them an email. I'm traveling for work. I train at so-and-so place. I'm a purple bell or whatever I was at the time. Can I train? Absolutely. Yeah. And that for, for me is the most amazing thing about jiu-jitsu. It's, it's a proper brotherhood, sisterhood, yeah. friendhood, whatever it is. It really is. Because when you're rolling with someone, as you say, you are with them. You're so close to them that you end up finding out, what do you do? Yeah, while you're rolling. Yeah, how's your day been? Bit of, careful this, or I'm really good at this, or I don't do this, or this is hurting. Oh, why is that hurting? You find out, the, I go back to places now. Uh, we've got an office in New York, so I go and train at Henzo's. I go back, and it's the same people I see, who are now friends on Instagram, yeah, or in India, or Israel, all these places that I can go to, never the same in bodybuilding, yeah. Oh, you come and train here? Yeah, you're a bit arrogant, yeah. Or I'd have to wear a jumper, because I'd feel that people are staring at me when... People at the gym couldn't care less. Yeah, jujitsu is different. Yeah, because jujitsu literally you need other people. Yeah. Right? So if someone says, "Hey, you, you know, you basically you're going to add to my enjoyment yeah. by rocking up and, and training." Yeah. It's it's a beautiful thing. I, I said I think I don't know whether I was talking to I think I was talking to Jolie, um, and I said that um, like if, as long as you're sort of training regularly, mm. jujitsu is like an oyster card that never runs out. That's brilliant. Like you can just go anywhere Love and it. just beep it. Love beep, it. And it will go, yeah, you can come through the barrier. And people come. that I know who I've known through my life from different areas, through work or through university, I've looked at them recently. Like, oh, jiu-jitsu? What? I didn't know you trained jiu-jitsu. Uh, or certainly a guy that I worked with who I thought was into cross-training has opened up a jiu-jitsu gym in India. He's a brown belt and second in the Pan Asians and the guy is phenomenal. We now connect. He used to report into me at one of my jobs. I now sort of feel like I report into him when I go and train with him in Delhi. Yeah. It's hilarious. I feel like, hang on a second, you used to work for me and now you're manhandling me. Yeah, it's, in the quite, gym. it's quite um, weird with, with martial arts because – you're, I mean, I, before I did uh, jiu-jitsu, I did kung fu. So I did right. kung fu for, I don't know, maybe like eight, nine years, like a lot, you know, three, four times a week, mm. or black belt, whatever. But you, like m my instructors, at that time I was, say, between 18 and 25, 26. So they were older. Mm. Whereas now, being kind of old, especially sort of coming into jiu-jitsu being older, you know, my... Most of the people who I train with are either a bit younger than me or a lot younger than me, yeah. including the instructors. Yeah. But you still, I still see them as seniors. Yeah. It's a really weird thing because, you know, you probably, you probably think like in, in any other walk of life, you know, they might come and ask you advice. Hey, I'm, we've got pregnant. I'm going to have a kid. Could you do mm. something about this? Or, you know, I'm having problems at work. Could you tell yeah. me about that? But then you get to class and it's like, no, he's the boss. 100%. It's, a, it's a weird dynamic, right? I said it to you before we started. So me t telling my son, do this. Yeah, at home, it's an argument. Yeah. Football, 
Harry, you need to make sure that you mark this man. It's an argument. Jiu-Jitsu is the one place where he has to listen to me. And he didn't. When he first started, he wasn't listening to me. I'd say, Harry, make sure you do I'm doing it, Dad. And one of the other guys overheard it and said to, said to them, Harry, here, your dad is higher than you. You listen to your dad because we all listen to him on certain things. So if I'm rolling with a blue belt or a white belt, I go, oh, just be careful, we'll do this. Like, oh, yeah, thanks. He shouldn't be the one arguing with me just because he's my son. And it's brought discipline to him in so many ways. It's the one thing that I would recommend. Yeah, when kids say, oh, I want to do a martial art, I'd say, do this. Because you're not going to win every time. There's, there's yeah? nothing like it. You're going to learn discipline. You're going to learn how to look after yourself. And when you spar, and I don't know, I haven't done martial arts before jiu-jitsu, but I, I believe when you spar in jiu-jitsu, you're going. You know, it may not be going 100%, but you're going. You don't do that in anything else, yeah? Boxing, sparring, you don't hit someone square in the face, yeah? Because yeah. if you do, they're not going to come back and train with you again, or they're going to come back and smash you. Yeah, or, or it's just not... Um... There's no longevity in it. Yeah. How many times are you going to get your nose broken? Once or twice and then you can't breathe anymore and you don't really exactly. train Exactly, you get punched in the head a thousand times. Yeah. yeah? You can be armbarred and tap a thousand times and still do it for another thousand. Yeah. Yeah? You can't get hit in the head a thousand times and then come back because you're not going to be the same person. Yeah, it's, I, and I think this is, I mean, I think it's why it's incredibly valuable for kids. Mm. I think it's incredibly valuable for pretty much everybody. And I think is also why some people drop out and they, they don't like it because it's it's incredibly um, revealing and yeah. honest. Yeah. There's no bullshit because the bullshit is well you got tapped. Yeah. <laughs> like I know you're saying <laughs> that you could, but you didn't do yeah. this or you didn't manage that or you didn't because I tapped you. And then I tapped mm. you again and I tapped. You. I'm just going to keep doing it yeah. until you figure out. How to yeah. not let me do it? Yeah, you know, and and some people obviously they don't like that. They don't. They they can't sort of cope with being um, losing. Yeah, losing in inverted. Which, and comments. that's the problem. If you come out of jujitsu thinking I tapped this guy, or I tapped someone, tap I tapped people twenty times today, and I didn't get tapped, it's going to be a really long road because you can tap people twenty times, but if you start talking like that you're going to get tapped the next time and they're going to keep on going, keep on going. But Don't um, think of it as win or lose um, yeah, in you, the sense of I'm better than, I'm but, better because I did but, that. But you lose part of the, part of the, the um, benefit of training mm. because a lot of the benefit of training, like you said, is learning to deal with adversity. Yeah. You know, especially now, I mean, I don't have kids, but from, from what I see of the way the world is now, it's not like when, like when I was at school, we had sports day and Alistair Roy won everything. And we then had one at, of those. In assembly, yeah. the next week or whatever <laughs> in the morning, they would call him up on stage. Alistair Roy won the 100 metres, 200 metres, yeah. 400 shot put, egg and spoon race, everything. Yeah. Now it's like no one wins, no one loses. Mm. Everything is participation medal. This person wanted to do the egg and spoon without a spoon or an egg. That's fine, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas definitely. Whereas jujitsu is like... Nope. After five minutes, <laughs> there will be no 
no doubt what happened. Yeah. Either you got smashed or you didn't get smashed or you smashed someone or you yeah. that and and it and it's it's ruthless like that. There's no there's no way to to hide from it. And if you are going to be training regularly, like you've got to come back in two days and fight the same person again. Yeah, but and then you've got to come back next week and fight the same person again. And they're going to just keep smashing you. But it shows you also that if you, in inverted commas, fail because you tapped, it's okay. Yeah. Because no one's excluding you from the next round. Yeah. No yeah, one's yeah. saying, I don't want to do this. I don't. No one's doing that. If you are constantly on it, yeah, and you're constantly like, yeah, I tap. That's when people don't want to roll with you, yeah. or they want to roll with you to to punish you. Yeah, yeah. And for me, with Harry doing it, and for me doing it as well, I think that the more you come out of it with a "oh, that was fun," that's winning. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's that's comes, winning. Comes back to yeah. the conversation analogy again, right? Yeah. Like it's some sometimes you speak to people, and then you come out, and you're like. Jesus Christ, like my brain hurts. Mm. And then there's other people where you're like, that was such a good, fun conversation. Yeah. Like maybe even like say on a date might be something that people can relate to. You mm. know, there'll be some that you come out of a date and you're like, get me out of here. Yeah. And there's others where you're like, that was like five hours. Mm. Like I didn't even get up for the loo. We were just yeah. chatting and talking. Don't know where that time went. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it can and should be like that. You know, where you come out just, just feeling amazing. I mean, I was talking to Tom Sparks, who's a osteopath, jiu-jitsu guy. He's a, he, he was a powerlifter. He won the British Junior Powerlifting Championships after like three months of training. Jeez. He's a freak. He's yeah. one of those freak guys. Um, but we were sort of trying to run through actually all the, all the kind of components actually of the benefits of jujitsu because mm. you know like you say it's it's therapeutic it's amazing but you know that that even even within that there's actually a number of of kind of components which you know n not necessarily i mean you don't need to break them down because it is what it is but a lot of people work or live on their own Mm. They don't have a lot of physical contact, you know, work from home, you're on a Zoom, maybe you're not in a relationship or whatever, you know, you kind of sit behind the screen, you see your mates once a week, have a beer, whatever. You don't hug anyone. Mm. You know, the Brazilians kind of say, oh, we're just cuddling, kind of as a joke, but it's not. Having like that body-to-body -body physical contact is really important for you. It changes your physiology. They're, they're not, look, I find that a lot of the jiu-jitsu guys and, and girls, uh, they're some of my closest friends now. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And a buddy of mine that I met at jiu-jitsu who doesn't train anymore, but we're so tight. And without jiu-jitsu, we never would have met. Yeah. There is zero chance that we would have met. Yeah. I probably, in fact, no, there is no, there's no, no way. Yeah. So that for me gives another perspective of jiu-jitsu and the benefits of it. Uh, where I found that it's super helpful is this whole just it takes me away from my job. Yeah. You know, which if I didn't have it, I think there'd be this complete mind explosion. Yeah, really difficult to, to shut off from things. You know, I've, yeah. I've always, I've always, uh, I don't know who's the word, admired, but, but I've always thought, you know, people who say, oh yeah, I meditate, you know, 
three days a week or an hour a day or whatever i've always thought like that sounds awesome like i mm. can't stop my mind from working Same. for like three seconds but and i've said this on the podcast probably like every single episode every single time i go to jiu-jitsu especially if it's like a sparring class where it's a lot of rolling i think to myself i'm gonna try and think about what i think about while i'm rolling and then it's like did it end of the hour what did you think about i don't know yeah don't put your hand here fuck that guy's asking me if i want to roll again he's really heavy like yeah <laughs> maybe yeah. if i can just get the lapel run that's all i'm thinking about yeah. it's, it, the meditation is perfection in that in that sense because you just completely go to another place i've messed up one time i remember it really well and i was really stressed at work and it was at rga it was when we were in the squash courts in potter's bar and we were drilling triangles from the guard and it was one of my training partners john and we're doing it like five times switch, five times switch, doing it fine. And I remember thinking, oh, God, I've got such a really busy day tomorrow. I've got a call to make when I finish here. And it's one, two, three. And then on number four, I just forgot to tap on the drill. And uh, not only did I forget to tap, but I went to sleep. And it's the only time that I've been put to sleep. And John... Let go. He realized because my body obviously went limp. But it's the one time where I've gone, thought about what's going on outside and not thought about what's going on there. Yeah. And it was, a, it was almost like a don't forget, you need to forget. Yeah. Yeah. Leave everything else. Yeah, you have to be perfectly present in the yeah. moment. I mean, that's that. there's no other way to... To do it because otherwise, you know, not just maybe like you get submitted or whatever, but maybe you injure somebody else mm. or you injure yourself just because you're not thinking, oh, sh well, you don't learn straight or whatever. Well, you don't, don't learn. learn. Yeah. yeah. And my work, my boss is great and he knows when I say to him, look, I'm going training tonight. Now that he's based in the US, so he's obviously got that time difference. They never, he never says, oh, can you do a call? So if I say I can't, I'm training jujitsu, he's like, okay later because he knows he can see yeah that i'm on it yeah but when i'm off and i'm doing this leave me yeah and he get he's he knows when i go and visit them in new york he's like when are you training so i can make sure that we don't organize dinners around that you, you haven't got him to onto the mat yet. not yet no um he's a he's in his 60s and he's a he's a runner he's a marathon runner um but when I say a marathon, he's done over a hundred marathons in his life. Wow. So I think he'll stick with that because if I say to him, come to jiu-jitsu, he might say to me, come and do come another marathon. Yeah. And not worth the That's trade. just not happening <laughs> ever. Um, but again, great thing because it means I've got, I can compartmentalize my life. Mm. Which now that my son's there as well, it's a great thing. It's a really great thing to share. I've got to say that's. And what about, do you say your wife's name is Charlotte? Yeah. Do you think she would be interested Never. in training? Never, ever, ever. Not, not sporty or just no jiu-jitsu? Uh, she likes her Pilates, but no, she wouldn't do jiu-jitsu. It doesn't interest her. She hates washing two sets of geese, <laughs> let alone doing a third. Yeah, when we come home on a Monday and there's two sets of geese, she goes, I bloody hate these things. Stinky sweat. Especially when it's Sunday open mat and there's one. Yeah. Yeah, or well, there's two now because it's me and Harry. And then there's two more. So come Monday, she's got four geese. 
No chance. Yeah, She'd so never the do The washing it. machine is never ending, Exactly. Right? But she, she sees the benefits mm. in me doing it. And she now sees the huge benefits in, in Harry doing it. Uh, I can't see my daughter doing it either, by the way. Right. How old is she? 17. She's going to be 18 next month. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the wrong age for, yeah. for girls anyway, right? Yeah, she's, maybe going, she's going to uni. In 10 years' time Yeah, for she's girls, going maybe. to uni. Maybe once she's decided, right, I want to do a sport. But you're right, probably 10 years' time. It would either been 10 years later or 10 or years early. earlier. Yeah. Yeah, when she was really young. Yeah. But she wasn't interested then either. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can still remember... Um, Rob Connor, who was always teaching the kids' classes at Mill Hill. Yeah. Like militant. You know, like you'd, you'd sort of come in and you'd be changing and you'd hear him like shouting at someone. Then you'd think, like, I wonder what happened. Then there's like a three-year-old. <laughs> you know, but like yeah. really like yeah, going yeah, yeah, for yeah. them, right? But those kids were, I mean, A, they won. They, they just destroyed everything. Yeah. Uh, national, international level. They were, you know, every single weekend was just like gold, 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 double gold, triple gold, double gold. Amazing. Every weekend they were competing everywhere. And they were all like straight A students. You'd kind of look at them and you'd, and you'd think, some of them looked a little bit kind of like aggro because mm. obviously they're training a lot. And then you'd talk to them and they're like really sort of polite and nice and whatever. And then you'd sort of ask them, oh, how's school, whatever. Oh, yes, very good. You know, I'm doing 16 GCSEs this, this year, one year earlier. It's like... Wow, because it's just that that like discipline yeah. of like and and you know the other thing that 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 I think that jujitsu really um, teaches you is that is you know, like what you were sort of saying earlier about um, the sparring being I suppose you could say like more realistic is that it it teaches you to pressure test everything mm. so you get taught something you're like let me go and see if it works. Yeah. Rather than just kind of accepting, oh, if I did do this and this and this. And I think that that probably transfers to a lot of other things that you, you learn. Yep. When you're like, right, let me let me just immediately go and see whether that works. Oh, yeah, like this formula. Oh, yeah, it does work. I see. I see how it works. You know, you don't just go, oh, well, a teacher told me it works. It works. Yeah. Because, you know, you've, you've already learned that lesson from what they say. Like, if you get this grip, this will happen. Well, let me see. Oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work again. Let me go and ask someone else. So it it's gives you that real, real good sort of skill um, feedback mechanism. The discipline works and is also again for harry and maybe for other kids as well harry can train monday tuesday if he's done his homework you don't do your homework there's no jujitsu and sandeep knows this so he'll ask him so if i'm not there and harry goes training sandeep says to him you've done your homework and if he says no goes can't train now he's it's this carrot that if you work, you can go training. Not if you want to go, you can go. Because now he so wants to go, he's yeah. willing to put the time in to and do the homework. Would you say you've noticed like an improvement in the doing of the homework? Yeah, he's far more disciplined. So yeah. he's now saying, Dad, I've set out my revision timetable. And three weeks ago, he said to me, because uh, we're going away in the summer, he's like, right, I will do one physical thing every day, whether it's football, whether it's jujitsu, or whether it's getting into the gym. So he's now got into the gym. And that's going to help his jujitsu. Because whilst they say strength isn't relevant. Massively yeah, relevant. If your technique is on point. It's massively relevant. And you're strong, 
you'll be better than someone that is technique is on and their strength is zero. Yeah. Yeah. And it can help you. Okay, look, don't power through stuff all the time, but it can help you in difficult situations. So I he's, mean, that's why he's you now have weight doing classes, that. right? Yeah. Otherwise, everyone would be still just, you know, 60 kilos fighting 120 exactly. kilos. Exactly. So he's, he's now doing that. So his discipline's improved because, one, he's said he can't go if he hasn't done something, but also he's realizing if I put things in allotted times, like jiu-jitsu is from seven till nine, there's class from seven till eight, there's sparring for this time, I can actually concentrate on what I'm doing rather than I'm going to revise. What are you going to revise? I don't know. I'm going to revise English. Okay, what in English? So he's really focusing. And it's partly because of that, partly because of what we do at home, but he's learning. Mm. And that's good for whether it's a kid, whether it's an, like me, yeah. yeah, an older guy, you can learn that there are times to do things and there are times not to do things. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and just, you know, again, the, the, the sort of analogy back to jiu-jitsu is just improving your efficiency, right? Yeah. Making more efficient use of your time, of your resources. You know, it's, that, that, is a, that is another lesson from the jiu-jitsu is like, okay, I've got five minutes. You know, I was talking to Ed, Ed Ingemels when he was in um, and he was talking about um, like if you have beginners, mm. you know, jiu-jitsu is very difficult to, to pick up at the beginning or at least I found it I was. I found it, yeah. It's incredibly complex, confusing. You don't know where you're supposed to be going. It's very unintuitive initially. Especially as an uki as well. That was even harder. I'd be like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, 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 well, I, I tended always to make like the incorrect physical decision. Like I'll turn my yeah. back instead of turning in. I'll try and have an overhook rather than an under, yeah. all these kinds of things. Um, but, it, but, you know, Ed was saying that, um, one of the sort of uh, concepts initially that, that he would teach to beginners is that you start from completely disengaged and I want to get to your back. Whatever happens along the way might be a bonus or it might be a new problem or it might, <laughs> but, but literally that's the journey. We start from standing a meter away from each other and I want to get on your back or you want to get on my back and through that process, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But it gives you then a sort of um, like a, you know, like the the, the, the the kind of thing, like if you don't know where you're going, you're yeah. never going to get there. You know, if you're trying to travel somewhere, right, where am I going? I'm going to the Hilton in Birmingham, South one. Okay, put it in the sat-nav. Right, no, there's roadworks, blah, blah, blah. The satellite goes down. Your car overheats, but you still know where I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Same thing, you know, we start from here, I'm trying to get on your back. So that kind of gives people this model of this is always, if I'm confused, try to get to the back. Yeah. This will probably kind of take you in, like in a good direction. Yeah. But, you know, it teaches you then that efficiency of, okay, and you've got five minutes to do it. Mm. So, okay, I better get grips quickly. And once I got grips, I better do this kind of within the first minute because, yeah. you know, and it, and it teaches you that efficiency of using your resources and using your time, which, you know, as you say, you can see that transfer into Harry being much better at, at compartmentalizing and breaking things down into chunks and ordering them and putting them in the most efficient patterns. It's, it's, it's nice to hear because, you know, you, you sort of, I have all of these, um, 
kind of theoretical concepts of jujitsu does this and it does that and I'm sure this happens and I'm sure that happens but it's nice when you actually hear like real real examples from real people of yeah I've seen it like I've, I've noticed this happening so I've got it for me and I try and explain to people who don't do jujitsu and some I've explained it to who do and go you're an idiot but I used to get super stressed about things that didn't really matter yeah I'd be coming home on the train and the train would be 20 minutes late and I'd get really annoyed with it. And then probably about two years into jiu-jitsu, it just struck me that there were so many things that I could apply from jiu-jitsu to, true, to real life. And it was as simple as 20 minutes late, what am I going to do? I'm going to spaz around, but it's still going to be 20 minutes late. So you know what I should do? I should just tap and just get on with whatever I'm going to get on with. What's going to happen that it's 20 minutes late? I'm going to be late home for dinner. It's okay. So I messaged Charlotte, let her know. Or I'm going to be late to a meeting. I me- and it all happened sort of because of jiu-jitsu because I'd get caught in an armbar and I'd spaz around. I'd go, hold on a second. That's the wrong thing to do, yeah? If it's gone so far that I can't do anything about it, tap, I'm not competing, I'm rolling, I'm drilling, or I'm a five-minute roll, I can carry on. I've got another four minutes to worry about. And it was... I use it so much now in life and I'm not a, uh, a mindfulness person and uh, you know meditation person. I'm not that at all. Yeah, I'm quite a practical person. But that was the most mind-blowing, yeah. mind-opening thing. And I do the same thing at work and I think, right, I can really push up against this. Alternatively, what do I actually need? Yeah, so and if I'm doing a contract, this person's really pushing me on one point. I'm, I'm just being stubborn now, but I don't actually care about that. So let me leave that one. Let me take these other six things that I really need, yeah, and I'll take all of those and finally I'll give that. And that application has been... Yeah, it's kind it's of been a, great. It's a little bit like the kind of the destroying the ego. Yeah, like it t- kind of teaches you yeah. to let go of that. That I want this to happen, and I want to be in control, yeah. and I want to be, and just what is is. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. If someone says to me, "I'm I've done this, this, and this," I go, "Great." Yeah, amazing. I'm really happy for you. Or well, what have you done? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, I never say it doesn't matter, but. Uh, oh look at this great car I've got I am super happy for you and I'm genuinely happy for them what car have you got I've got an Audi yeah how old's your car 12 years old I don't don't care yeah Yeah. but it's not because I'm not happy for someone it's because I don't I don't want to I'm not trying to fight my ego with them anymore yeah but it's jujitsu you like you want an ego fight yeah you're going to get tapped yeah Yeah, you can be as strong as you want I was talking to to um Sandeep on last week, whenever it was that he was in, um, and saying, you know, I I I try very much, and I, and and I've definitely I've learned this through jujitsu. I just compare myself to different versions of myself, mm. and what he said was um, like the uh, Spider Man into the multiverse. Yeah, you know, there's twenty Spider Mans. Yeah, when you look in the mirror, are you a Spider Man that you think oh, I'm a cool Spider Man? 
Or do you look in the mirror and you think, I'm a shit Spider-Man compared to these other ones? Yeah. Like that's... I love that. It's that's great. all I... That's all... You know, that's my reference point is I, I, I sort of think to myself every day I've probably got 25 or 50 or 10 or whatever decisions to make. Like, should I get up at half past four and go in the gym or I shouldn't? Shall I stick with my oats and protein powder or shall I have bacon and eggs or whatever? Mm. And you just have these choices all day and then at the end of the day, you kind of think like, did I make some good decisions or I didn't make some good decisions? And, you know, you it is that sort of same thing from jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. Should I go left or right? Should I try to sweep or not yet? Or, you know, it's, it, you're doing the same thing. But I but I think it's, it's it just you're on a hiding to nowhere comparing yourself to other people yeah. on anything. Yeah. You know, even I, I think even with competition – I think with competition, when you're younger, it's different because you're still trying to find who you are. Mm-hmm. So as a, as, a, as a younger adult, you you still kind of don't really know your place in the world. You know, you're probably not married. You probably haven't got kids. You you know, probably haven't got a career. All these things that, you, that haven't sort of happened yet and everything is a little bit more confused. So I think when you're younger... Yes, you 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 are competing with other people. You know, you're competing for a mate. You're competing for a job. You're mm. competing to be in the the the, the bracket in university that gets a first class degree because it's only a certain percentage. You yep. know, there's these kinds of things. But as you get older, you just realise like everybody has got their path that they're on, and you can sort of deviate a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right or whatever. But fundamentally, you know, I I think the universe kind of has a plan for you and you kind of have to take the opportunities that are there and pass the challenges that it sets and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, you're you're never going to be Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson was Michael Jackson. You True. Know? So you just go, right, well, I, I'm on my path. Let me just do the best um, along my journey that I can do. Yeah. And there's, and there's nothing more really to, to be done with that completely agree i think if you start comparing yourself to anyone you're gonna struggle yeah when i first started training jiu-jitsu i started the same time as someone yeah i had the yeah. same thing and oh, fuck they're getting better than me and but i i never I, I get asked the question yeah oh so you started the same time as wayne why is wayne a brown belt and crushing people and you're a purple belt i'm like because he's really good yeah. oh but are you, are you what about you and him together i went yeah he crushes me yeah oh, does, I, but you've been training the same amount of time i went so I mean, five years are... ago six years ago when i first started if someone would have told me that i'd be like no i'll definitely be better than him and I was gonna say, it's, the, it's the bodybuilding mentality yeah these are, these are questions from non-jujitsu people usually. yeah because jujitsu people they just yeah. get it right yeah, hundred percent. Oh, you rolled with that blue bow and he tapped you three times. Are you pissed off? Nope. Yeah, but he tapped you three times and you're a purple belt. Yep. Yeah, you can't. And do if it. a white belt taps me three times, you can't do it. On fantastic. Your own, right? you good can't for him. Train on your own. Yeah, good for him. He obviously was better than me at that role, and probably, maybe, might be better than me in every role. That's okay. But I, I think, don't care. You know, I think I think also the other the other thing with it is like. You need um, you've got to have this balance, right? Where you you train with people that are better than you, you mm. train with people that are worse than you, and you train with people that are on the same level as you. They 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 give you different things. 
um, each one. This was something Ed was talking about as well, which I think was via Frank. Do you remember Frank Shamrock, Ken Shamrock, and Frank? Shamrock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Shamrock said, "You need." I can't remember his exact language, but basically said, "You know, you need people that are going to smash you, people that you're going to smash, and people that are right on your level mm. to really sort of go to war with." Yeah. And and so even sort of rolling with someone who's maybe like less skillful, but more physical, and gets the better of you, great. You're going to learn loads yeah. from that situation. Of mm, actually, you know, well, the, like you say, right? The technique is the technique, but someone that's really strong and fit and flexible—that's <laughs> a whole other set of problems to deal with, and so, you've got to adapt again. I went to a gym called Octopus in Tel Aviv when sounds I was there. Sounds bad already. Right, so these <laughs> guys, already brothers scary, Gideon right? and Saul run the gym and I remember saying to them that I was coming down, I was used to paying to get into a gym, yeah, a jiu-jitsu gym. And they said, it's free. You're here on holiday, it's free, no problem, come Shout whenever you Octopus. want. Shout out to Octopus. Shout out to Octopus. If you're ever in Tel Aviv, go to their gym, it's fantastic. So I rock up, I was a blue belt and... There's a bunch of white belts. I thought, great, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have fun here. I didn't remember, even though I should know this. Yeah, they're all like between 22 and 28, and so I'm thinking, I'm gonna smash these boys. I got absolutely like that class. I was the nail for everyone, and I walk out and walk out with Saul and a guy called Johnny. I was like, I just didn't know what happened there. I Normally, I'm much better than that, <laughs> thinking that what's happened, they're like, Marcel, you know all these guys have been in the army for three years. Yeah. Whilst they're white belt jiu-jitsu, yeah, they've been grappling in the army on a daily basis for an hour, two hours, three hours a day. Yeah. yeah? And they are going to be killers. Came out feeling a bit better about myself. I still went back the next day and got was the nail again. But that that humility and that, you don't know what someone else has done, yeah? So going in and thinking, I'm going to win this every time, that's a big difference to uh, bodybuilding for me because I always thought if I do everything I can in bodybuilding, I'll be the best I can be. Do everything you can in jiu-jitsu, you can still be nailed every single time. Yeah. Yeah? And I take that jiu-jitsu thing into my work and know that I can be the best I want, but if someone is really good and if someone's got something that I need and a deal, it doesn't matter how good I am. Yeah, they're, they're going to get what they want. Yeah. That's and, okay. And also, you know, to to sort of approach these things where you're like, I, I, I kind of think I know about this guy, but yeah. I don't, right? Until we start negotiating or talking mm. or whatever, like... Less, you know, there's that feeling out process, right? It's yeah, exactly the same absolutely. thing. Although I do love, slightly off topic, I do love when I'm working against someone and I say to them, look, I can't, uh, it's happened with two people, one Brazilian and uh, living in Brazil and one guy in New York. I said, look, I can't take a call at this time, I'm training. And they're like, oh, okay, so you know, when you finish the gym, I said, no, no, no I'm training jiu-jitsu. They're like, we train jiu-jitsu? It changed the whole negotiation. I'm not kidding. We had two things we had to finish. I said to the guy, I've got to go at six o'clock. I'm training at seven. He's like, okay, you take one, I take one. I'm like, seriously? He goes, yeah, yeah, you've got to go and train. It was just, yeah. it was you brilliant. People, jiu-jitsu yeah. people, you it's get it, right? It's a complete 
proper brotherhood. It's, I absolutely, that for me, I love. Although I do start looking now at people's ears and go, mm, wrestling. Or, in the US, you can't be certain it's jujitsu, but they still get it. Yeah. Uh, but that, again, I, uh, always brings a smile to my face. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you should, you should think about doing um, English Open. English Open's good. When's that? Uh, I think it's November. Um, Timing works. Because, you know, when you said ears, mm. I was just thinking the first, that was the first comp I went to. Like, I'd never even been to, like, see one. Because I didn't want to compete. I just started training because I watched UFC 1. I watched Toys. I was already doing Kung Fu. I suddenly was like, fuck, man, this, all this stuff I've been learning is not that effective. <laughs> but um, I, just, I just started training. I started training. I smashed my neck. I had to stop for 10 years. And then I went back and mm. started training again. And... Um, I went to English Open and I just remember, and, and you know, what, what I'm coming on to is when I went to the Euros, but I went to English Open, it's a big comp, I think it's eight mats. Yeah. Um, and just walk in and you just see ears. Like everyone just chewed up either one ear or both ears <laughs> and, and necks and abs. Yeah. And I was like, fuck man, this is like legit. And then, so I did the English Open and then the Euros is January. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to go Euros. It's only like another month and a half. I just keep training mm. and go Euros. And then that's like, that's amazing. You know, it's, 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 it's in like a stadium, sports stadium. It's probably, I don't know what the seating is, probably room for maybe 3,000 people, 2,000 people. It's a big thing, 10 mats, I think. And it's over a whole week, like six days. And then, you know, you walking around is like Cyborg, Keenan, you know, like the, the <laughs> proper Hall of Fame. wandering around. Yeah. But again, like everyone in there is just like no neck, big ears, six packs, warming up, you know, on the right, English Open, it. I'll do then. There you go. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm going to try and speak it. to Sandeep about that. Yeah. But, it's, it's a big, it's a good comp because it's quite a, I think it's, I think it's probably the biggest one in the UK for, for a number of people that go in. Yeah. So it's, you'll get someone like in your bracket, in your weight, in your age class, the right sort of people to fight. Mm. And it's a good, um, so it's a, it's a good comp. I've done it three times. It's a good, I'm going to try and do it this year. No doubt. It's There'll be one. some boys from the gym doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's what I mean. Kind of yeah. go down as a team and then it's like, again, a nice sort of, team building experience of actually go and compete together yeah you know so yeah nice i have to give it a go yeah beautiful i that think that's fun. a nice place to to wrap it thanks wrap jason it appreciate thank it, you mate. for coming down Good fun. i appreciate your time i know thank uh, you. everybody's time is valuable i'm sure your time is super how, how, what's your normal can you say how much you normally bill for an hour uh, well, being in house, I don't. But what, what, yeah, what normally, would be the going rate for? You're a senior lawyer now. Yeah, right? somewhere between eight hundred and a thousand pounds an hour. Amazing. <laughs> so that's I've had a couple of grand. I'm happy. I'm happy about that. So yeah, thank you very much for coming. Appreciate down. Really it. Appreciate you coming in to talk. And um, you're you're are you on Insta? I am, but I don't really post much on so, Insta. social media. Nothing much. Not really. No, I'm a, I'm a bit of a voyeur on social media. Okay. But you're at um, rga-self-hearts.co.uk. Correct, yeah. Which is uh, Sandeep and Seymour and Dwayne's club. Yeah. Uh, Borehamwood, near the, is it near the Asda? Near the? It's near Morrison's. Morrison's, near yeah. Morrison's. So yeah, um, RGA Self Hearts, people can, uh, can find you there. And um, 
yeah, if you want to, if you want to go along and, and train, you guys are there. I think Sandeep said most nights. Yeah, and most, then Saturday, yeah. Sunday. It's every mornings. it's every night during the week. Uh, there's lunchtime classes on Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, sorry, uh, Monday and Thursday, and then there's morning Saturday, and then open mat on Sunday. And is your is your Sunday open mat like open open? People can pay a drop in, or is it kind of club people? Uh, not it's sure? club people open mat unless you contact Sandeep before, right. and you know, generally it's an open door policy, um, but don't just rock up. Yeah. It's best always to call Sandy. Yeah, you can do that through the website. He said yeah. all his contact details yeah. are on there. Amazing. So uh, thank you guys for listening. If you made it all the way through, nearly two hours, thank you for uh, sharing your time with us. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you uh, got some uh, physique improving tips out of this one. So uh, yeah, everybody's going to be looking a little bit more buff and a little bit more ripped <laughs> and a little bit more shredded and be a little bit more dangerous on the mats with their improved uh, physical conditioning um, follow the podcast on uh, instagram is the best place at white basement pod you can listen to the podcast uh, this one will go up on youtube mostly they're up on youtube spotify amazon google podcasts apple all the places where you listen to your podcasts um, if you enjoyed it, share it with other people. Uh, leave us some comments and some feedback on Instagram. And we'll catch you next time. Yeah, rap is such a competitive sport. And my glass is still on, it's the incredible dog. They want to try me like the federal court. But I'm unashamed of the gospel, I never retort. That statement of the rappers are wax sauce. DJ treat them like Mr. Me.